Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 647 of the milk bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And first of all, my apologies for not producing a normal show last week. Uh, my father, Colin Forrest, passed away on the 4th of November. And obviously with a very sad time in my family, uh, didn't feel able to do the program as normal last week however we are back this week uh, lots on the way uh, we'll be hearing from Codswell Dramatic Society all about their children's play for 2021 we'll be nattering with Fawn Press about their production of an anthology of poetry we'll be hearing from Ian Henry uh, we'll be having a natter with him all about the Chinese Labour Corps which is going to be on stage at the Blue Orange in the week around Chinese New Year next year also coming up Bash Chamberlain lets us know about the Bohemian Open Mic We'll be having music and a natter with Sean Kelly. He's got a festive offering for us. And on top of that, Rob Cheeser will be rounding up some of the goings-on at COP26 as he's been up there as my reporter for WCRFM over the last couple of weeks. That's all on the way on the show this week. The Codswell Dramatic Society Children's Play for Christmas is on its way. And I'm joined now by Wendy and Colin Peterson to tell me more. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello, Jason. How are you? Oh, I'm getting by, thank you. You all right? Good, good. We're good. well. Thank right. you. And it's starting yes. to feel festive, which is the important bit, because the children's play is not too far off now. That's correct. It's on at the end of the month. Uh, we're busy rehearsing and we just can't wait to get back in front of an audience again. And we could, of course, remind people of the of the name of this particular play. It's Dick Whittington this year, yep. which we haven't done for a, yeah. a, about 10 years, I think. That's nice to do then, and, and something that uh, the kids of uh, the current batch will not have seen. That's correct. true, yes. Yeah, absolutely. We've so, got lots of new members that are all... Um, enthusiastically throwing themselves into it and uh, we're having a ball. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's something more than just a panto, which is what I like about it as well, because it, it, you, you've got all the fun that you get in a panto and there will no doubt be the opportunity for everyone to have a bit of a sing-along and the kids to get involved. But it actually really does tell the tale as well, rather than just being a vehicle for some celebrity. Yes, that's the intention. Basically, our children's play is aimed at kids aged 3 to 11. And the society ethos is to just tell the story. Uh, we don't complicate it uh, over much with too many of the, the panto things, the cross-dressing, the innuendos and, and all that sort of thing, because we're, we're telling a story to children. And it's the ideal opportunity to, to introduce children to live theatre. And that's really why we do it. And it all begins well before the event itself, because there is no doubt going to be the colouring competition too. Yes, there is. We've got the colouring competition. The forms are online on our website, www.consuldramaticsociety.co.uk. Uh, and they're available also from Village Crafts in the Square at Codswell. So um, getting involved yeah. early, I think, is the moral of that story, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yes. We, we have a number of people who turn up every year and say, oh, I didn't know there was a colouring competition. But there is. There always has been. <laughs> Well, we've been part of that as well. And it's, it's, it's all part of introducing the, the kids to the world of arts and uh, through the, the play itself, uh, they'll be in, able to enjoy a story which goes back many, many, many decades, doesn't it? It does. I, th I think it's been about 48 years, was this? 
what the story or the children's play the children's, the play. children's <laughs> play goes back uh, well over 40 years dick whittington we've discovered was actually um 14th century not sort of 17th or 18th century as uh, yeah. as people are led to believe century. <laughs> yeah but it will take yeah. us back in time and uh, and and wendy i know that uh, you, you'll be equally as excited about this have you, have you got a part this year I have got a small plot, yes. Um, I'm playing a, a sailor um, and I'm standing in for somebody just uh, in case somebody goes off ill, which is something we've had to do with all our cast this year. Um, normally, somehow or the other, if somebody's ill, they just come in and battle on. <laughs> but uh, this year, because of the seriousness of COVID, um, we have had to say, if you are ill, you stay at home. So all we've had to cover all the parts um but uh, yes colin and i are directing it as well so we're heavily involved on that side and it even looks if one particular character goes down then they get me on stage and that's severe <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of being a wonderful uh, cast of understudies and uh, yeah it, it is again making sure the show must go on and just in a slightly different way to normal yeah yes yeah, so we've, we've had to uh, adjust a number of bits and pieces to make it sort of more covid safe so we're not going to have kids uh, milling about all over the floor together at half time to get their drinks. We'll call them down in, in batches. Uh, and at the end where the, the children sort of collect the autographs of the cast, we're doing that differently. Uh, the, the autographs have already been signed and we will give them out the sheets so there's no mingling between the cast and, and, and the, uh, the audience. And we've also limited the numbers in the audience um, and with spaces between the each party and uh, spaces hopefully behind them on the on the rows. So we really are doing our best to ensure yeah. that this is going to be as COVID safe for yeah, we've, everyone we've as possible. We've reduced the audience by a third, basically. So mm. hopefully we've cut the risk by a third. Yeah, but it does mean you have to book in advance uh, as ever and get your tickets. And that means that you guys can then put together those family groups who are going to be uh, safer. Little mini bubbles within the uh, the way in which the show is going to come together. Thinking of everybody, but also making sure they get that introduction to the arts world as well for uh, the three through 11 year olds this is really aimed at. So once again, what are the details for the, uh, the, the website so people can get the tickets and where can they get not only that, but also their colouring competitions with the kids too? Okay, so the website is www.codsoldramaticsociety.co.uk. That's Codsold Dramatic Society, all one word. Or they can telephone on 01902 267 322. That's 267 322. It's a message messaging service, so leave a message and we'll organise the tickets and get back to people to confirm that, that we've done it for them. Okay. And it's, we, we are not selling them uh, in the village this year. Again, it's all part of the, the COVID um, changes that we've had to make. Uh, so it's only online and it means we can limit the numbers. Uh, also, I would it's worth mentioning that the tickets are selling quite quickly for the Saturday nights uh, on the second week and Saturday matinees. So if you do want to come along, Get your order in soon. Yes, the last, the last Saturday is almost sold out. Uh, but the other thing is, again, we would mention, as departure from the usual, we're <coughs> moving ourselves into the 21st century. We've got a card reader. We can take payments by card. 
So, so you, yeah. you pay, pay, book your tickets, pay on the night, or as ever though, make sure that if you book tickets, you're gonna turn up. If you can't make it for whatever reason, you discover that there's somebody in your family's ill and you then can't make it, let console know. And uh, yeah. then you make sure you allocate that to somebody who'll be on the waiting list for tickets, no doubt by that point. Yeah. Yes, us they can always leave us a message on that, on that number, the 01902 Okay, so what, give us all the dates that people are looking out for to keep their diaries. Uh, open. Right. The, <clears throat> the dates are we're starting on Thursday the 25th of November, so it's Thursday the 25th and Friday the 26th, and Thursday the 2nd of December and Friday the 3rd of December. Those performances are at 7.30, and then there's the two Saturdays, there's a Saturday the 27th of November and Saturday the 4th of December, and there's two performances on, on those Saturdays, one at 2.30 and one at 6.30. So, yep. uh, say the 4th of December one uh, Saturday is nearly sold out, but there's plenty of space on Saturday evening on the 27th of November, and there's still quite a bit of space uh, on well all the other performances. So get in there quickly. That is the moral of that story. As ever, joy to speak to you both. Have a brilliant time. Break a leg, and we look forward to the children's play from Codswell Master Society all getting going on the 25th of November. Wendy and Colin, thank you. Thanks, thank Jason. You, Jason. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Form Press are launching an anthology. To tell us more about what's going on, I'm joined now by Scarlett Ward-Bennett. Hello. Good morning, Jason. Thank you for having me this morning. Uh, good to talk to you. So tell me a, a bit more about how Form Press came to be. So uh, my background is in poetry. I've been a poet for nearly a decade now. Um, and I myself was published with Verve Poetry Press, which is a mm -hmm. press in Birmingham. Um, and the Midlands just has a really rich and diverse poetry scene um, and I kind of wanted to contribute to that so I'm an avid reader an avid consumer of poetry um, and I kind of wanted to um, add more to that society and to that community uh, mm. and provide a platform for, for other poets because there's so much talent out there um, I think that the more publishers there are the more opportunities people have um, so the start of uh, this year, it was kind of in my head that I wanted to do this. Um, and I got some really great advice uh, from Jonathan from Writing West Midlands. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of said, yeah, I'm looking to do this. Um, I, I think it's a great idea. And he was really encouraging. So special thank you to uh, Jonathan. Um, and yeah, so it was summertime. I was planning it um, and uh, yeah, so we had the open submissions window um, from September through to Halloween. Um, and yeah, we're just kind of in the process of making that anthology now. Yeah, because I mean, when it comes down to poetry itself, as you say, there are an awful lot of poets out there, but it, it almost feels as if poetry both should and shouldn't be a kind of underground sort of scene. I mean, poetry itself, it suits yeah, being part of a, you know, not, well, not so much a clique because it's more friendly than that, but you know what I mean? It's kind of a, a collective which isn't necessarily seen to the outside world all the time. And it's, it's something you go into and then find this amazing world of creativity. Absolutely. And it... It's, I think the whole poetry scene is going through a bit of a renaissance at the moment. It's going through a bit of a revival. Um, I think a lot of that is kind of perhaps due to social media, making it more easy uh, to share the internet, that kind of thing. But I mean, poetry never went away. It never died. It just found new ways to present itself uh, mm. in, in modern society. And yeah, like you say, um, <laughs> there is this really rich, 
community um that if you don't know it's there it's like picking up a rock and seeing all this like diverse wildlife underneath mm. this rock um and it really is wonderful as soon as you kind of pick up that rock you realize wow there's there's so much going on here um and i think the really beautiful thing about uh the the poetry community particularly in the midlands is that everyone is so supportive there's never this feeling of competition or anything like that like even the publishers are really supportive of one another because at the end of the day if those around you are succeeding it really contributes to the the health of the community mm -hmm. as a whole um so yeah it is a really beautiful part of uh the community to be to be a part of. <laughs> yeah, but it's almost as if you, you you kind of feel you don't want to spoil it by letting too many people know, and that's why publishing can help because it's like a route out. So you don't you know, soil the creativity that's there, but you can still share that magic with so many more people. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole conversation about page poetry and performance poetry. Um, it can kind of embody itself in lots of different ways. Um, so. Um, there's people like Casey Bailey, Lexia Tomlinson, uh, Jasmine Gardosi, who can really put on a performance and it's almost like acting, you know, um, they're, they're reciting their poems from memory. And I just can't do that. That's not the kind of poetry that I'm able to do. I'm more page poetry. And obviously there's, there's lots of different things in between that. Um, but there, yeah, there's, there's lots of different ways that poetry kind of manifests itself. Um, and I think that idea of, not letting too many people know. I think it's almost the opposite. I think we're very keen to find uh, ways for poetry to kind of make itself known. I mean, look at like the adverts on telly at the moment. Um, there's lots of things like um, Adrian from uh, um, the uh, Over Here app. They're looking at ways of trying to bring poetry into our everyday lives. Um, and yeah, it's almost like we're, undercover agents trying to like <laughs> bring it into everyday life and be like hey did you know this is this is poetry um and it, yeah it, it's, it's a beautiful link <laughs> and, and it's something that's there that we need as well because it, it it's it's sort of like you take a, a lot of thoughts and uh, yeah, some people distill them down into song lyrics uh, which is a different kind of poetry uh, and other people distill it into a, say, a performance uh, which can contain everything from love joy through anger and disgust and express it in a way which you can't do without it being poetry yeah absolutely um i think that's quite a, a there is a big conversation about you know what what's the difference between poetry and prose and perhaps it's contested from person to person but you're absolutely right it's really cathartic to be able to write down uh what you're experiencing and to kind of digest and metabolize the world around you and kind of uh produce something that is always making a connection with the reader so we're always bridging that invisible gap um and you're always kind of saying the world is like this is it like this for you as well? And it's a really special re uh, moment as a reader when you read something and you're like, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> or, or, like, or if it takes something that you've seen a million times and it explains it in a way that makes you kind of see it in a new light. Um, that's always a really special feeling as well. So yeah, right. I think whether it's poetry or prose or anything like that, the, the narrative voice is always trying to make that connection with the reader. And that's a really important thing, I think, to bear in mind while you're writing as well. So this is going to be, uh, say, an opportunity to share work from a number of people who submitted by the end of October. So what do we look out for? How does this work? So um, Fawn Press 
F-A-W-N as in a baby deer. <laughs> um, we are on social media, so you can keep an eye on us on Instagram, Facebook, and Form Press. Um, we also have a newsletter that goes out weekly, um, and that just kind of keeps you updated with what we've got going on at the moment. Um, so we are currently in print. Um, so we've been spending the past month kind of reading submissions, editing, um, creating the artwork, um, and uh, yeah, so it's in print at the moment. It's going to be available um, the first week in December, but we will be having pre-orders come out very soon. So that's basically the opportunity to bagsy your copy uh, before it comes out, because we have um, a beautiful soft touch, soft back um, copy but mm. also we have a really limited edition of hardback copies and that's just because I love book I love books <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just wanted to do something a little bit special just to kind of experiment and if it if it takes off then that's the kind of direction we'll go in in future but also we wanted to make sure that um it was affordable we didn't our ethos is uh, be good do good so um you know, we, we're trying to move away from this idea that poetry is for the academically elite or for whoever can afford it. Um, so we wanted to make sure that it was it was still affordable. There was an affordable option there. Um, so yeah, we have the, the softbacks and, and also the hardbacks. So to answer your question, um, yeah, just keep an eye out on our social medias and uh, sign up to our newsletter. We'll give you a full Facebook title. Uh, Fawn Press. Just, so, uh, just, just search for Fawn Press and fawnpress.co.uk. Yes, that's the one. That is nice and simple, easy way of doing it, getting <laughs> poetry out there and uh, again, giving more people the opportunity to see the creativity that is all around us. That, as, as you said, we, we may not know about, but we ought to. Um, mm. And even if it's just dipping your toe into the world to read some of these wonderful pieces of work, whether it uh, uh, be that or if you're going along to a performance poetry event, it's absolutely worth it. And poetry slams are uh, they're just yeah. such high energy. It, it's unbelievable, isn't it? They yeah, really are. And uh, we always share things in the community on our stories, on our social media. Um, we we kind of want to act like a platform. So we also have a blog on our website, formpress.co.uk, where uh, we're talking about you know other people that have got a submissions window open. Because like I said. Uh, there's no competition really it's it's all for the vitality of, of the community as a whole um so yeah we kind of wanted to act as a, as a platform for writers in what we do but also in what we share and for other people in the community so um yeah the anthology will be out this year and then in the new year we'll be printing um single poet um pamphlets so that's something to look forward to as well I think pamphlet is a good word to stick after poet. Uh, it is sort of there's a nice alliteration to that. It's almost poetry in itself, isn't it? Yeah, it is, absolutely. <laughs> Scarlett Wood Bennett of Fawn Press. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. With the festive period almost upon us, we need some great tunes to get us through. Sean Kelly and the Returned Gifts have their Christmas song, and Sean joins me now to tell me more. Hello, sir. Hi there. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Good stuff. Now, you're all ready for the festivities, and this includes some music from you. Tell us a bit about the track and how uh, you were inspired to write something for the festive period. I've been wanting to write a Christmas song for a long time now. I've been in various bands, and we've always tried it and never quite got it right. Um, and it's something that I was inspired to do because I feel like the West Midlands and the Black Country is, you know, the um, official home of Christmas. We've got, you know, a history of great music with bands like Slade and Roy Wood and um, just wanted to follow on in that uh, in that tradition. 
Yeah, because normally, I mean, you're outperforming, aren't you? That's the thing. You're normally out there do, uh, doing clubs and stuff at this time. Um, yeah, normally, yeah. I mean, not so much this year, but we have started to get back into it again. But we did like um, the Shrewsbury Food Festival a few weeks back, and that was just that was brilliant because um, it was you could tell that people really were enjoying live music again, and they were just really up for it. It was great. Um, we've got a gig coming up in Birmingham um, in December. Um, but it's 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 you know few and far between still, and I think people are still a little bit anxious to be going out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hopefully that's all going to change very soon. Yeah, we'll start to settle down. But uh, this hasn't stopped you creating music, as you say. You've got the Christmas song that's out there, and there's plenty of other bits and pieces you've been putting out, aren't there? Oh yeah, yeah. We're still releasing music. That's uh, that's the one thing you can do in lockdown. <laughs> people have found ways to even like record, um, you know, remotely. And just just get on with it, you know, and just carry on being inspired and, and putting stuff out there. So give us the background to the rest of your stuff then that's aside from the Christmas tune. In my uh, younger days, I was in a band, uh, you might remember us, we were on on the Milk Bar a, a mm-hmm. few times, we were called The Lights. Yep. And um, we all got to a, a certain time where it just started to sort of like just... Um, it got very busy for us. We, we were quite successful and we had to make a decision and then family and children came along and dogs and, um, <laughs> we kind of like came to an amicable sort of parting of ways and I sat twiddling my thumbs for about three days before I thought no I can't do this I can't sit here not writing music and doing nothing so um, I started to write songs just recording um, here in, in uh, my bedroom stroke studio and um, and, and I started putting songs out there I was getting some radio play and then the next thing came along was that um, we were asked to, to perform live and it's at that point that I realised that I didn't have a band anymore. <laughs> um, so I quickly um, got some very accomplished musicians who were willing to come and play and that was the start of the return gifts and um, we've just carried on since there and it's been going for like four years now um, and it's great because um, we're all sort of like of the mindset that we, we do it when we want to do it uh, we play the gigs we want to play and we write the music we want to write and there's, there's just no pressure um, and that seems to be working for us. Yeah, and it does mean that, I mean, the return gifts works well for the uh, the Christmas single too. It sounds like a great name for that. <laughs> that uh, was intentional, but yeah, yeah. Happy accidents are the best yeah, ones normally, aren't they? Fitting, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's, a, it's something you, you're sharing music uh, on, on all the platforms, I take it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's um, all um, out there digitally on everything, Spotify, um, Apple Music. Um, the good thing about Sean Kelly and the Return Gifts is, it's, it's if you Google it, you can only find us. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a Google whack in terms of uh, there's nobody else out there called that. So um, it's very easy to find our music and our socials. Well, so we're going to put ourselves in a bit of a Christmasy mood and take a listen to the track now. And uh, it, it's not December yet, but I, 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 don't, I, I, don't, I don't feel bad about that. Cause, uh, no, no, it's Christmas. It's Christmas already, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's the way. And uh, give us all the socials then. So, yeah, so you Google, you can find you, Sean Kelly and the return gifts. That's nice and easy. Uh, but uh, take your, your answer and all the rest of them as well. Facebook, um, quite, pretty, quite active on Twitter as well. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's um, quite fond of Twitter and we've got a nice community on there facebook yes again just type in sean kelly and return gifts and and then spotify if you want to hear what we sound like or um youtube you can watch some of the videos that we've made um yeah yeah i mean as i said you'll find it if you if you if you look for it
Well, let's get into that festive mood and enjoy the track. Sean, great speaking to you again, and thank you for joining us. And we look forward to more as we head through 2022. I'll make sure you stay in touch and we can get to, uh, some more tracks for yourself and your return gifts on air, OK? Thank you, Jason, and have a very Merry Christmas.
Warsaw's poet laureate Ian Henry joins me now to have a little chat not only about the role, but also about the Chinese Labour Corps, which is being brought to the Blue Orange in Birmingham in the early part of next year. Hello, sir. How are you, Jason? Great to be here on your show. Well, always good to talk to you. Nice to have you along. And uh, uh, for those watching the video recording of this, uh, the, the beach behind you isn't real, is it? It's East Park. <laughs> <laughs> right, now, uh, first things first, uh, I know Wolverhampton's just announced his new Poet Laureate, and uh, you took over as Walsall's Poet Laureate uh, in October. And uh, These are prestigious roles and, and absolutely essential to cities uh, with, and, and towns with, with a great artistic background, uh, which, which both uh, are, of these areas are. I mean, I know you're Wolverhampton side of things, and they, they've kind of let you sneak into Walsall, haven't they? They did. Um, I don't know how I did it, but let's just say I sweet-talked the mayor and I had a big meeting in her chambers and I agreed to do some free legal work as well in order to raise money for the mayor's appeal, which is foster parents and Alzheimer's. So Warsaw doing some great work there alongside, of course, that our own Mary Wolverhampton does too. But uh, this is, again, a, a, another applaudit for the great quality of your work. And I'm allowed to say that, even though I know you don't blow your own trumpet, you just put your work out there for everyone to enjoy. Uh, and uh, when it comes down to projects like the, the Chinese Labour Corps, uh, I, I know, again, this is something very dear to your heart. Uh, we, we've touched on your legal work there. I know that in the Chinese Quarter in Birmingham that you have uh, uh, practised there. And you, you're working with a number of different communities, all of whom uh, get the, the right representation because of the kind of work that you do. Thank you. I'm grateful to you for saying that. Um, just at the, the current times, we have been thinking about Remembrance Day and what it means and people who made the ultimate sacrifice. And, you know, Jason, in this country, there are 60,000 memorials to the First World War, mm -hmm. including memorials to Germans and animals, but none to the Chinese people, none to the civilian volunteers who travelled around the world to serve Great Britain and her allies and, and died. And we just want to give their voices back. We have a Chinese cast, we have a Chinese producer and director. I was commissioned to write a trilogy of plays for China West Midlands, starting with the Chinese Labour Corps, because they are forgotten of the forgotten. And I know you're a big patron of performing arts and you do a fantastic job and you love a good show. And you know how COVID has affected performing arts mm -hmm. right across the world. And this play should have premiered last June at the Birmingham Hippodrome. But COVID came along, so we had to look at other ways, doing uh, research and development workshops, which were then streamed. We took that on board. We got another Arts Council England grant, and we're performing the play for Chinese New Year uh, in February. So absolutely uh, a, a very poignant time to do it. And uh, amongst the celebrations of uh, a new year of life, uh, obviously looking back on those who gave their lives to allow us to live how we choose to now. Absolutely. Uh, we just want to remember them. Uh, it's very important. It's about diversity, inclusivity. It was so, so essential to get a Chinese cast, a Chinese producer, Chinese director. We have community, we have cultural partners uh, and it's important. And, but it's important to remember, you see, because it's estimated between 1917 and 1920, over 140,000 Chinese young men volunteered to serve this country and historians claim that 20,000 of these civilians, Jason, civilian volunteers died 
even after the war had ended. They died of disease, starvation, and unexploded shells as they removed dead bodies, spent ammunition, and unexploded bombs. And we, we forget an, a, a lot of what goes on in war, and particularly uh, as war these days and conflict has turned into uh, drone uh, attacks and uh, the, the likes of the IED, which has uh, really altered what happened. The, the, the trenches of the First and Second World War uh, were, were the fronts on which you know, these battles for, for, for land were, were made and uh, control of the, the people contained therein. And the... the the horrors that people saw then uh, cannot even be slightly imagined today. I think that's absolutely right, Chase. And I think you made a good point there because people don't think about who filled in the trenches to make nice pasture land for French and Belgian farmers. The Allies went home. Who filled in the trenches? Who put away the barbed wire and the, 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 the bullets? It was the Chinese and they continued dying uh, two years after the armistice, because they were still on the Western Front, picking up the bullets, filling in the trenches and recovering the decaying bodies of the dead. And we have forgotten them. Their contribution has been whitewashed from history. Uh, they are the, the forgotten of the forgotten. This play is going some way to starting to redress the, the knowledge, at the very least. And uh, I, I, I think and feel that, you know, this, this is the sort of thing we should see start off as a, as, as a play now and could easily develop into something which ought to be seen as either a, a TV adaptation or a, a film to really get this message across. Because, as, as you say, there hasn't been much focus on this. We've seen all the war films imaginable uh, to have uh, uh, yeah, taken not only a, a respectful but a sometimes humorous slant on uh, the, the, the times of troubles and the conflict. But there hasn't been much here, has there? No, there hasn't. And it's inspired by real-life stories. And it's based on the extraordinary and long life of Dr. Y.C. James Yen, who was the founder of the International Institute of Rural Reconstruction and the China Mass Education Movement. How about this, Jason? People don't know his name, but he's one of the 10 most influential people of the 20th century, together with Henry Ford, Albert Einstein and Walt Disney. And he taught 200 million Chinese people to read but we don't know his name. We know the name of the guy who created Mickey Mouse. We know the name of the guy who created the automobile, but we don't know the name of Dr. James Yen. And he was there in the Chinese Labour Corps and the play is partly based upon his life. And of course, recollections which you've been able to uh, glean from uh, not only history books, but writings that go along with that sort of prolific work, even though it's, a, it's not something which uh, history is deemed to, to talk about. And I think that, that, that's the, the sad part. It, it's, they're there, these records, and it, it takes you know, 100 years before someone like yourself, with the work that's been done with the bodies that you're working with, to actually get this into uh, a message of, of uh, not only the tale that's been told, but the hope and the love that came from those situations. That's right. All the characters in the play are based on the stories of real-life people. Their own words have been used as far as possible for authenticity. And how do you respect these extraordinary men in the Chinese Labour Corps? So this is going to be at the Blue Orange uh, in, in Birmingham, wonderful theatre, uh, and uh, I'd love to see it then transfer to uh, a, a wider audience as well. But this is something that's going to be 
100% backed by, as I say, a great venue. And uh, tell us more about how people can get hold of tickets in advance and also find out more about the project itself. Just to go online, Jason, Blue Orange Theatre, it's all there. So you can get your details and your tickets that way and be part of this. Remind us of the dates again. The 1st to the 5th of February, which is Chinese New Year. So be part of not only the celebrations, but also a time of reflection, not only looking back on the last year, but also looking forward and uh, then look back to the, say, 100 years since these uh, actions were taking place as the Chinese Labour Corps made such a difference after the First World War. Well, as ever, always uh, a pleasure to speak to you, Ian. Before you go, give us all the details of where we can find out more on your work. Um, my website is all the W's, Ian henrypoet.com and uh, if you want to know more about the play blue orange theater in birmingham simple as that oh, as ever ian henry thank you for joining us thank you jason always a pleasure never a chore Someone who's a very busy man, often out and about, and involved in all sorts of projects is bash chamberlain and he's here to tell me about a bit of a bohemian open mic night hello sir Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me on, man. Bless you. Well, good to talk to you. And there's normally that much going on in your world. Obviously, the last 18 months has been a little bit of a hiatus that has not been chosen. But uh, things are starting to get back to some kind of normal. And the Bohemian Open Mic Night is one way of, of putting a smile on people's faces and some joy in their ears. Yeah, we've had some great bands coming through, solo acts as well. And it's picking up. It's a really nice atmosphere in there every Thursday. So if you are... Uh, if you're in a band or a solo musician looking to get either your songs or your your, your cover set out there, then uh, it's a great opportunity to do it. We're very, very welcoming, very supportive, and we've got a young, vibrant crowd in there. We, uh, it, it's a nice, intimate atmosphere. We had a band in last week called Watermark, mm -hmm. which um, which I'd never before. Young lads, 18, 18 I believe. Uh, they've got a 60s vibe to them, and then... Um, I wasn't expecting a four piece and <laughs> it was, I'd never met. We don't normally have it, but now that we know we can cater for it, we're keen to have more. So it was, and they loved it. So yeah, we were another band in said they were a little bit too hard, but they were tender vendetta. They, they do their rehearsing at the cellar rooms, which literally the corner where Rob goes, uh, I don't know whether you know Rob, but, mm -hmm. um, so they have loads of bands there. And they, they were just passing by the one day uh, while the open mic was on. And I said, all right, guys, with their guitars. So I pulled them over and I said, why didn't you come and play here? We're too hard for there, I said. And I said, no, we're not. And they came in, they watched the band last week, and they're looking forward to the next week. So I'm looking forward to seeing how hard they are. They get 25 minutes, half an hour set, mm -hmm. and they'll play amongst... All the other the regular acts and a few others that come we've got people from Stafford, Birmingham, and obviously a lot of local acts as well coming through. So good times, mate. Good times. And showcasing the whole of the Midlands music scene by the Sandra thing. So tell us a bit about the venue itself. The venue, it looks amazing. We go in, it used to be it used to be the quadrant bar years ago. Um it's it's got graffiti everywhere. Paul Atkins, who's done all the decor. He's, it, it's spot on. Um, they're involved grain store and the Parisian. So they like to jazz at bars. Nice independent um, business. So they do the right things. They help support 
live music in their own way and they do little festival street festivals at the grain store every year so there's a potential for paid gigs for anyone who comes through the open mic and and you know fits the bill for such events as like um, the gin festival and street festival at grain store so based on Lichfield street in wolverhampton every thursday and how do people sign up to get involved? Well, ideally send us a message um, the Bohemian Open Mic page if 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 that's the, if you're not my friend on Facebook, Bash Chamberlain, or just turn up. You can just turn up, but if you're not if you're not there early, you can you can always you always get set, but it's easier just to schedule it. If we've got we've got quite a few acts in, we like to get everybody on, so. Mm. It's good to have them in the room. We don't sort of set times. We run it by ear, so we don't we don't sort of say you got to be there for a certain time. So, you know, I'm there from eight. We're going to start doing it from seven over the Christmas period because we do get a lot of people coming in early. We do two for one cocktails up until ten o'clock on the classic cocktails. It's a beautiful environment. They're not they're not they're not your cheap sort of nasty tales either. These are these are wanky. You know, you get moose all sorts fire and sparklers all sorts going on i mean i don't i don't do to myself jason but the the staff there they'll they they they, they take their time and they uh they're very good very good creating some magic with the cocktails making it a wonderful night with the music bohemian is a place to be each thursday night as you say eight o'clock start at the moment moving to seven as we head through towards the christmas period and you're looking for the bohemian uh, open mic uh, page on Facebook to really be able to become part of the community before you go along and enjoy it. Yeah, and there's plenty of free parking as well. If you are coming from a farm, bringing your car, there's plenty of free parking in the town after half past six. Um, so, yeah, give us a message and I'll signpost you to the best place to park if need be and whatnot. Well, so if you're in a band or you've got a solo set, come out. If you've been practising over lockdown, you still haven't been out. Come and give us a go, you know. We are mindful and we're we're very welcoming. So it, it sounds like an awesome night. I will endeavour to get down there in the not too distant future and enjoy not only a great open night mic night, but also the hospitality of the, the Bohemian as well. I'm gonna get you a cocktail. Okay, that's I like green ones, okay. Green cocktails work for me. That's 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 good every time. Uh, no, no, it, it, it's, I don't know what it is. There's something in the green ones that, 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 that I really enjoy. So don't judge me. But there we go. Maybe a little cherry, red and it's got a Christmas vibe to it. That is. That would be good, wouldn't it? I like the sound of that. I like the sound of the whole night. So make sure you're part of the Bohemia Open Mic Night each Thursday at Litchfield Street, Wolverhampton. And you can go along and meet Bash, and he's a legend in his own lifetime as well. So it's absolutely worth meeting up with this man too. But you, you are absolutely brilliant at what you do, mate. That's why I sent you the message the other day. And uh, it's a pleasure to listen to you and see how you support the You're so aware of what's going on and keeping touch with people and you push them and you drive them and then you give them, give them that platform well to let them know. And brilliant what you're doing. I appreciate it, mate. And thanks for calling me on today. Credit to you and your station. Brilliant, mate. Love oh, what you do. Thank Keep you for that. It. We look forward to all the work that you're going to be putting in. Keep us posted on what's happening in the world of Vash, and we will look forward to yeah, the open mic as we say down the Bohemian. Thank you for joining us, and stay safe, mate. Cheers, mate. Bless you. Cop 
26 has drawn to a close, and there's been a bit of an agreement, which is a good start. Now, Rob Cheeseright has been reporting on this for 101.8 WCRFM throughout the whole of the two-week period. And he joins me now to tell me a bit what it, about it's like being actually part of an event like that. Hello, sir. Hey. So, uh, COP26, uh, first of all, what, what does the numbering system mean? Because that, that's, that's the oddity, isn't it? Because a lot of these things go by year. So why was it COP26? Yeah, uh, because it's the six, 26th one. So the, the first one, uh, yeah, goes go back 26 years now. So it started in the mid-90s. And uh, this is COP26. It should have been last year, but because of COVID, it's moved. So there's been 26 COPs over 27 years. And... and what have they achieved, as it were? Because they say each time this has happened each year, they all get together, they have a discussion, and some agreement comes out of it. But the fact we've had to have 26 of these things sounds like it hasn't actually made a lot of progress. Yeah, and do you know what? Despite having been there for, for the whole two weeks, I, I'm, I'm on the fence as to, to kind of what I feel about it. Because on one hand, they have made a lot of progress. A lot of what's in the deal does move us closer to where we need to go. But at the same time, we're on target for about 2.4 degrees of warming, not the 1.5 degrees, which is safe. So we're still miles behind a livable climate. At each one, more progress gets made, um, particularly the big ones every five years. So you have Paris five years ago and then this one. And, and this has made a lot of progress. There's sort of two, two stages to it, really. You have that first week where they made loads of announcements. And none of those were official parts of the agreement. They were just things that groups of countries or businesses coming together had done. And there was important announcements on coal and methane and forestry, lots of great stuff. And then the second half, it all got really tense and hard and it felt like there might not be a deal. And in that, the main thing I think they agreed was that they would come back every year with new targets. So they weren't able to agree this time to get to the kind of carbon reduction you need for 1.5 degrees. But instead of waiting five years, which is the previous process, now every single year going to come back and tighten up and tighten up. So they agreed not to have been able to agree, but certainly felt they needed an agreement somewhere along the line. So that it it it, get, it puts these things in the headlines, though, which I think is important, isn't it? And uh, previously, we may not have heard of the the one point five degree. Uh, sort of safe limit and th there's been conversations over the last decade about how much carbon the seas are taking out of the air which is going to help balance things because the planet itself is going to do everything it can to stay a nice temperate climate but uh, that little kick that we've been giving it for the last century and a half maybe more has really really messed up our general ecosystem and although the planet will survive it'll always find a way it's whether it can sustain our life in the way we want to live it Exactly that. And, you know, it's us and all of the animals on it, really. We're in what's known as the sixth mass extinction on this planet. And this one is the one caused by humans. It's known as the Anthropocene mass extinction. It's done it. We've done this. Um, and as you say, you know, we've, we've steadily crept the temperature up, mostly through burning coal. Um, it's up to, on average, 1.1 degrees more than it should be. That's meant we're having, you know, massive forest fires across Russia and parts of Europe, flooding across Europe. You know, we've got a famine in Madagascar that's almost certainly caused by climate change. And in Canada, it got to about, was it 45 to 50 degrees Celsius in Canada? And that's on 1.1 degrees. So if we get up to 1.5 degrees, that's still very dangerous. But scientists, their judgment is that that's probably something we can deal with. If it gets beyond that, then who knows where we go? And you run the risk of getting, uh, we, you know, there's this um, concept around feedback loops 
you know, once we start melting the ice cap too far, that releases more methane. And there are others like it. You know, if we do so much damage that we have so many forest fires that the trees burn and that releases all the carbon that's stored in those trees, because as you say, the natural processes are the best way to deal with climate change. Stop burning carbon on one hand and have trees and oceans drawing down the carbon on the other, but we're ruining the Earth's ability to do that. So we could get a point if we go above 1.5 degrees where all of a sudden it just runs out of control. And then we're in, you know, potential extinction territory. I mean, that sounds sort of mad when I say it out loud, but that, that, that's not unreasonable to think as a risk. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, the likelihood of an actual extinction of our species is is slim, but what we will have is an extinction of the lifestyle that we lead because we won't be able to do it. The, the, the planet won't allow us. And you know, the, the, there'll be parts of the world where human life, as, as we know it, will continue, but how they know it, not how we know it, with our uh, uh, supposedly civilised society, our, uh, the likes of our phones, computers and whatever else, that, that side of things will be the, the bit that starts to go because we, we'll, we will lose a lot of the, the sort of land that we, we now live in and it will be the few remaining rainforests that we have and it could take you know, millennia to get to the, the, the point at which we can live what we consider to be a nice civilised surrounded by you know, the old mod cons life again. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the UN did a report around halfway through COP that said at, at two degrees of warming that would mean about a billion people wouldn't be able to live where they currently live. Now, the consequence of that is those billion people move elsewhere. We already have lots of conversations in every country, but particularly this country about migration and how much migration we can deal with. It's, you know, the, the military worry about it. So it'll, it'll affect everything, kind of every big issue that we face as a, as a country and globally just gets 10 times harder when you add in climate change to it. So we really can't afford to go down a dark path the agreement reached um, in Glasgow, the Glasgow Climate Pact, that helps a bit. It, it, it was good, but not enough. Mm -hmm. But you've got somewhere maybe like uh, Tasmania, which is suddenly going to be look like, like a, an awfully interesting place to be in the coming decades. Yeah, well, that, I, I sometimes do sort of fantasize about that. Well, where are the places to go? Is it the Highlands of Scotland or, or what? So, um, but yeah, Greenland. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely not going to be an ice sheet there. The way we're going so it could become habitable so the things will change and this has, has all been part of you being there as part of the launch of, of pinwheel now uh, you've been there uh you know, looking at this from, from that point of view and, and what sort of access do you get to a, a conference like this because you know, you're, you're not general public you are industry so you know it, it, you do get to see an awful lot of what goes on yeah it's remarkable actually how much access the general public could get if they book up and, and, and try and get tickets to things. So there was the, the, the main kind of negotiators in the blue zone, which I didn't have massive access to, but I was able to see a little bit of, and obviously I'm following everyone there and talking to lots of people there. So you mm -hmm. kind of talk to people that, that talk to people who were there. So you have that main bit of the conference, which is pretty closed up. But then beyond that, almost across the whole of the, the West End of the city, there were events going on everywhere. And, and there you ran into kind of leaders and delegates, but also other businesses, members of the public. You, you also on the Friday and Saturday had the massive protests, uh, which it was, it was good to kind of see those. I didn't march, uh, but I did, I did kind of walk through them and pass them on the way to events and, and thought it was just fabulous what they were doing. So, you know, it, it just created a, I don't know, it's sort of like a, a, a music festival times a hundred meets a multilateral negotiation. <laughs> Very yeah. interesting place to be.
Yeah, but the difficult bit is, as much as there were hundreds of thousands, millions of people marching across the world, will have all, they'd have just gone back to uh, a life which is still going to be uh, a huge carbon footprint. And we can't live a carbon neutral life at the moment. From a personal point of view, we can't do it. Whatever you know, the big businesses are trying to help us to do, what they're telling us they're doing, where they are making themselves saleable by. But it's not possible. Every time you turn that kettle on, you are using uh, either a device or energy which has polluted the planet. Yeah, and, and in a way, that's probably the main message that's left, really, which is, OK, the, the negotiators and the politicians have made some progress. It's now over to businesses and, to an extent, us to try and do as much as we can. Is that, should it, been, should it have fallen to us? No. Is that fair? No. Can we, can we solve it all on our own? No, but actually we can make a difference. And it's interesting you talk about the kettle, boiling the kettle, because you know, clearly the electricity that goes to that is carbon. Now we can switch to a green energy supplier, get solar panels and do other things to try and deal with that. Good, that's available to some people, but not everyone, clearly. But the, the kettle itself has become a, a real source of a challenge. So the biggest source of electronic waste in the world are kettles. So, you know, we're all, we, you know, every so often we have to get rid of our kettles, but they break. They are ending up in parts of Africa and East Asia where the, they degrade, it leaches into the water, carbon and, and materials are released into the air, and often extremely poor people in those, those countries are picking through to try and get hold of the precious metals because there's, there's lots of um, valuable things inside electronics, and they're doing that. And a lot of them are getting lead poisoning and all sorts of horrible diseases. So the kind of everything we do has a consequence mm -hmm. and, and, it, and, it, and it affects things that we don't really see and understand. That's, I mean, you mentioned pinwheel. I don't want to turn this into a big sales pitch for pinwheel. But one of the things we're looking at is electronic waste as well as plastic and things beyond carbon. So we need to deal with carbon emissions, clearly. But if we, if we screw up everything else, then it probably isn't going to work. Yeah, and you've got um, all generations. I mean, the, the, yeah, boomers get a, a bit of a bad press, but all they really did was facilitate the demand by the younger generations for something at, at zero cost to them. That carbon was never an, an issue, but they want, they want everything as cheap as it can be. And that's still the case. Everyone thinks they should get something for nothing, whether it be high fashion, fast fashion, uh, or consumer electronics. They all want it for the lowest price possible. And even if you just look back to you know, the, the way in which uh, the UK has changed away from its manufacturing base, people didn't want the, the wages for a manufacturing uh, world, but we still want the goods. So now there, we, we now pay people half around the world next to nothing for, for the work that they do. And I, I think it's, it's, it's more than just you know, the, the way in which society uh, it demands these things. It, it, the entire system's broken in many ways, isn't it? And we, yeah. the, the, the change that we need to make is, is probably bigger than the politicians who were there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm absolutely right. And it was interesting at COP because businesses were saying for the first time, businesses had always been a bit of a problem. They, you know, they didn't want to lose profits and you know, they'd often been the ones holding governments back. At this one, they were screaming at governments, no, do an ambitious deal. We, we are telling you as business to do an ambitious deal. So I sort of have a bit of hope there. Um, but as you say, I, you know, I didn't demand that they move from uh, paper bags to plastic bags in shops, but I probably did demand cheaper produce, which that mm -hmm. must be why they did it. And so, you know, all of these choices happen. And that is probably our best power as just normal people is to say, you know, I want stuff to be longer lasting. 
I don't want it to break down. I'd like to repair it myself, not have to just throw it away every time. Yeah. I would rather spend a little bit more on a good pair of shoes or clothes and it lasts than not. And, and you know, if I'm going to eat meat, I know that I probably need to eat less meat and have less dairy because I know that does loads of harm. But I want higher quality organic meat, not cheap rubbish. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's the sort of thing that we can do. Is it, for example, I mean, the consumer side of things, my mom and dad had a fridge from 1969 through until 1983, uh, and it only got replaced because they're having a new kitchen. And then the, the fridge went off to my cousin and carried on its life there. You can't, you wouldn't think of a fridge lasting 25 to 30 years now. You think you'll be lucky if you get five to 10 years out of it. And, and that's the world we're in. A, a kettle, electric kettle that used to be made in Birmingham by Hayden is probably still running. But now you can't get that. And uh, yeah, the, the, the world has changed. So there's an awful lot to think about. There's lots more we can have on this conversation. And they say, Pinwheel are doing stuff. Now do me the plug for Pinwheel so we can find out what you're doing. Yeah, brilliant. So what we've done is collected up the best planet saving projects in the world. So things that remove carbon from the air, particularly stuff like seagrass, which the oceans are amazing. Seagrass removes carbon from the air 35 times faster than trees. So you can come onto Pinwheel and you can start to fund seagrass projects. We've also got animal protection, e-waste and plastic pickup. As I say, all of these things are interrelated because plastic is built from fossil fuels and the, the, the damage it's doing releases more carbon into the air. So if you go to Pinwheel, you can have a look at some amazing game-changing, world-saving projects. And if you are interested in, and you do have the, the funds to do so, and of course not everyone listening will, then you can start to subscribe to them and you know help save the world. And we can do a bit, help save our world at the very least. The whole planet will carry on without us and it will probably produce something that's even more intriguing than odd than us. But there we go. Rob, good to speak to you. Thank you for joining us and keep up the good work. And we will be talking again soon about the work of Pinwell. Brilliant. Thank you, Jason. Take care. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 648 next week. I'll see you then. Good afternoon. Goodbye from the milk bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.